technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... Digital technology is absolutely make or break, but we've got to get the right technology in the right sort of uh, way. So 5G and, and Internet of Things, absolutely fundamental. And I'm, I'm quite pleased because I think the sustainability movement, the sustainability industry in a way, has been working much more intensively in recent years um, uh, with this sector and with companies like Nokia because I think they too see that this is make or break for them as well. You're listening to the Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. going carbon neutral isn't enough. As the founder of Volans Ventures, he spent most of his career advising the corner office on how to go green sustainably, but ultimately become a force for good in society. He's seen it all through the 1970s, where environmentalists were considered dirty hippie communists, through the digital revolution of big business in the 1990s, to where we stand today, on the edge of the fourth industrial revolution. Elkington believes we can leverage the digitalization of our world to make it a cleaner, better place and turn what he sees as the degenerative nature of capitalism into regenerative capitalism. But what does that mean exactly? Well, in some ways, regenerative capitalism is an oxymoron. In a sense, capitalism has, for much of its existence, been a force that pushes particularly nature uh, in the direction of degeneration. Uh, but there's no reason if we get the pricing right and price signals and so on, markets begin to operate in the right way, that uh, capitalism could not be uh, regenerative. I think we're slightly <laughs> distant from that desired outcome. But part of what interests us is experiments that are already happening in different places around the world in different sectors of the economy where people are, are trying to regenerate soils, trying to regenerate forests, trying to regenerate coral reefs, but also communities and, and regional economies and uh, national economies. So this isn't something that is just about nature. It's about our economies. It's about our societies and communities. Uh, it is indeed about the natural uh, environment and ideally all of that done in an integrated way. So if it's about activities that create the conditions for more life rather than undermining it, on a recent podcast episode, we were told that the environmentalist is a CFO's best friend because they're both focused on reducing waste. But how do we convince the CEO that sustainability must be part of the business model? One of the things that's happened in recent years is that firstly, when I started back in the late 1970s to engage business, CEOs and other business leaders just simply did not want to hear about environmental uh, issues, challenges even opportunities. I mean, they saw environmentalists as effectively troublemakers, even communists. I think what's happened now is that the CEOs of some very, very significant companies with very extensive supply chains so that they can leverage change through those supply chains have started to wake up to the fact that uh, the climate is changing, uh, biodiversity is being lost. Uh, there are a range of different challenges which have um, risk profiles, uh, which mean that they have to be taken 
seriously. So CFOs actually in, in recent years have become much more actively engaged in all of this. And I think that's just the beginning uh, of a process. So I, 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 I'm not saying that we have got where we wanted to be or need to be, but I do think we are seeing senior business leaders recognizing this is a grown-up, sensible, critical issue increasingly for them to deal with. Are you suggesting that peer pressure is playing a role in convincing the CEO that sustainability must be part of the business model? Peer pressure has always been important. I remember back in the early 90s when we were trying to get companies to do uh, non-financial or environmental or sustainability reporting. Uh, the, I, I had an anecdote. There was one of them about two CEOs swimming alongside each other uh, in their club and one of them talking about their new sustainability report and the other one feeling almost sudden in the moment naked because he didn't have a sustainability report. That's a very sort of basic level of peer uh, pressure. But I think it's it's now starting to operate in a rather different way. And, and I signaled it a moment ago by saying very large companies are starting to switch on to a change agenda and not simply thinking about it within their own uh, boundaries, but thinking about, and how do we cascade this through our uh, value chains. And if a Walmart uh, uh, switches on to this, as, as um, their CEO, Doug McMillan, did uh, last year and, and, and pledged that then that Walmart would become a regenerative company, then uh, anyone who wants to supply Walmart longer term really has to start thinking about what does that imply uh, for their business models, not just simply their reporting or their stakeholder engagement or, or whatever. I can imagine as well, you know, as you talk about back in the 1970s, an environmentalist was akin to a communist in some quarters. I can imagine we've seen a, a turnover in that corner office and uh, that churn has led to younger professionals with a desire to affect change. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think what's happened is that several generations in business terms, so not human generations of 30 plus years, but five, seven years or whatever have happened. Uh, and because of that, the people who are, are now in boards, uh, on boards and, and, and in C-suites don't any longer see this as completely alien. They don't see this as something that is uh, pushed upon them by people unlike them. They now have these priorities, these values themselves, not everywhere in the world, but 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 certainly in the, what we might call the global uh, north and that is spreading but just just a, a again a sort of anecdotal evidence i've talked to a lot of ceos in the last 18 months or so who have said something very similar to me as um i'm getting this pressure now from uh, at the breakfast table from my children i'm getting this pressure from our interns or i'm getting it from the talent that we're trying to recruit in to secure our future as a, uh, a business so that they're not only younger themselves but they're being forced to deal with the priorities of a rising generation. And those are shifting quite profoundly and quite rapidly at the moment, as we saw at COP26, the climate uh, summit. What role do digital tools play in going beyond net zero and creating this regenerative capitalism? Well, I think that there are a few forms of technology and there are a few sort of um, sets of tools that are more important than uh, digital technologies. And, 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 and some of it's sort of over our heads in the sense that we absolutely depend now on uh, satellite remote sensing. But as you come through supply chains, 
tracking of products, tracking of uh, footprints and impacts and so on. We have to do so much more of that. And we have to also uh, work out about the, uh, how, how to manage the unintended consequences of some of the solutions that we then uh, put in place. So I think digital technology is uh, crucial. I think itself, it, it is often flawed. I mean, we, whether it's um, uh, the surveillance society or facial recognition technologies and so on, we all know the problems that have been uh, bubbling up in that place, partly because a lot of the a lot of the coding and uh, the design is done by uh, people who happen to be uh, young, white, and male. Uh, and, and I think these are teething uh, problems. I, I'm sure we will come uh, through them. But I, when I look at uh, some of the very big systemic solutions that are starting to uh, engage now, for example, electric vehicles, and you start to think about electric vehicles basically as computer on computers on wheels, and you think about the smart grids into which they then uh, will plug. I mean, that's the digital economy in spades. So, so we've, 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 we can no longer think about these things as disparate, separated, unrelated. They are absolutely joined at the hip and increasingly will become the same thing. The fourth industrial revolution is here. Manufacturing is one of the greatest contributors to greenhouse gases, more than 16 gigatons of CO2 per year. Mm -hmm. What role does 5G and the Internet of Things play in regenerative capitalism on the factory floor? Well, I think one of the places that regenerative capitalism has to strike root is in the world cities. I mean, that's where the bulk of our species now lives, and it'll go up to something like 70% within a a couple of decades. So uh, if regenerative capitalism and the regenerative economy is to mean anything, it's really got to uh, shape uh, the way that we design, the way that we build, the, we op the way that we operate, and the way that we value uh, our built environments and the infrastructures that um, they depend on. So increasing um, rates of information transfer um, and the security of the um, the infrastructure that, that that achieves that, because we all know cy cyber hacking is uh, increasingly a problem. I remember probably ten plus years ago going to Portland and Oregon and visiting part of Intel and being and talking to the woman who ran what they called their security uh, fabric uh, division, and she was saying at that time. 40% of digitally connected buildings were being hacked every year uh, in the United States. And I'm sure that's not got better uh, since then. In fact, I think the scale of some of the intrusions has increased uh, quite considerably. And when you think about that, that's almost in the realm, again, of unintended consequences, because we're wiring our buildings, we're wiring our infrastructures and our cities with the best intent but not always thinking about what happens if, for whatever reason, it could be accidental, it could be deliberate, uh, those, those networks go down. What then happens, uh, not only in terms of um, loss of life, human life, but in terms of the knock-on effects in terms of pollution and, uh, and other things. So I think it, digital technology is absolutely make or break, but we've got to get the right technology and the right sort of uh, way so 5G and, and Internet of Things absolutely fundamental and I'm I'm quite pleased because I think the sustainability movement the sustainability industry in a way has been working much more intensively in recent years um, 
uh, with this sector and with companies like Nokia, because I think they too see that this is make or break for them as well. Do you see any sense of optimism or success stories tied to that Internet of Things Industry 4.0 view? I think uh, many of the people who've developed the um, fourth industrial revolution sort of agenda, almost mindset, see this as an innately positive uh, set of developments. Most of these technologies have the capacity to reduce the environmental footprint uh, of business activity by 90 plus percent. So, I mean, that, that, that's incredibly valuable if we, can, if we can get those sorts of improvements. But again, the, 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 um, each technology brings with it uh, a, a range of impacts, most of them are often uh, positive, socially, environmentally, and the rest of it. Uh, but they will also bring things that we didn't expect. Um, and, I, and one of the things that slightly alarms me sometimes uh, is that as in every previous industrial revolution, there is a race to market. And we very often find out about the unexpected uh, consequences a bit late uh, in the day. I think things have changed. And I, I, I am optimistic in the sense that I think most of the big IT companies, um, uh, telecommunication companies and so on, uh, are much more sensitive to these issues than they once would have been. Partly that's a generational shift, but it's also... They've had problems along the way, and 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 uh, most of them have learned some quite consequential lessons uh, from all of that. So we're much better prepared, I think, than we might once have been. But the the pace and scale now of the digitalization or digitization of, of the global economy is going to be so ferocious um, that the sort of interference effects between some of these technologies is going to be fascinating. Uh, to behold, uh, and quite problematic at times then to sort of clean up after the uh, the event. Transportation, from personal cars to freight liners, yeah. just another major contributor uh, of greenhouse gas emissions, needs to be lowered by as much as four and a half gigatons over the next 10 years. What role does mobile connectivity play in regenerative capitalism in this space? Well, particularly in transportation and mobility, there is a group based both in Silicon Valley and um, in the UK called Rethink X, and they've done a series of sector studies. And the first one they did about three years ago looked exactly at this space of transportation uh, and mobility. And what they projected then was that by the early uh, 2030s, we would see something like a 50% increase in kilometers or miles traveled. But at the same time, we'd see something like a 70% uh, decline in the revenues earned in the process. If you're an automobile or a, a trucking company or a, uh, an oil company, all of that, even if it's sort of off by sort of five or 10 years, is going to be, have massive consequences. The thing about these uh, new, the, these industries is that they're, they're connected in ways that would be very difficult to have imagined 10, 15 years ago. Some people did, but most of us didn't. And again, if you push the uh, the time scale out another 10 to 15 years, absolute extraordinary level of um, uh, evolution. Uh, and I think connectivity is going to be absolutely uh, central uh, to that. And then the question is, when we're already overwhelmed uh, by incoming data and information and so on, how as a species, how as industries, how as companies, how do we make sense of all of that? And that's where I think you know, we've seen big data, we've seen expert systems, we've started to see growing interest in artificial intelligence. 
And, and my own sense is that uh, none of this is going to work long term at the scale and in the ways that we need it to work unless we can develop AI in, in the appropriate way. So I've been paying a lot of attention to that sector, visiting people like uh, DeepMind, some of the people who are sort of developing some of these absolutely critical technologies. So connectivity, absolutely cool, but it's got to be done in the right ways. A global switch to solar and wind could cut CO2 emissions by a combined 4.1 gigatons. Is this how we make energy production and distribution regenerative under capitalism? Well, it's it, one of the dangers about the regenerative tag or branding is that uh, in the same way that people try to uh, stick um, sustainable or uh, circular onto everything that moved, we're going to see a lot of people trying to apply uh, that sort of tag to things, uh, for example, like uh, the evolution of the energy sector. Now, I think it's regenerative uh, if we move towards a solar wind battery uh, future um, and where those technologies improve exponentially and their cost points come down exponentially as well. Um, but the question of whether that's regenerative depends on exactly how uh, those uh, energy sources are designed and positioned and, and, and so on. To take a, a stupid example, but if, for example, you're putting windmills in the migratory paths of large birds and, and they're being sort of stunned or killed uh, along the way, that's not a part of a regenerative uh, strategy. So that in a way, as you said earlier on, uh, regeneration is about life creating the conditions for more life. And I think if the answer to your question is that the people who are driving this energy transition have that in mind and are delivering outcomes that um, move in that direction. Yes, that's that's towards regenerative and in the same way we might say it's towards circular economy outcomes or whatever, but it's not guaranteed. It, it depends on us. It depends on us as investors and, and technologists and, and, and business leaders and, uh, uh, and so on. But my optimism comes from the fact that I think increasingly most of us do sense that this is the emergent reality, that we're going to have to operate in a very different form of normal uh, going forward. And as a species, we tend to do our best work when we've backed, either been backed or backed ourselves into a corner. And here we are, in a way, in the mother of all corners. One requirement of regenerative capitalism is that companies embed sustainability as that integral part of the strategy. What role does the culture and values of individuals driving this change towards shared values and new business models play? It's a critical question. Thank you. And um, I've, I've been on in just the last couple of days on a series of um, calls with people who are developing new standards around uh, sustainability, working on the regulation of uh, different industries in, in, in terms of sustainability and so on. And all of that's essential and all of that is potentially um, uh, going to drive things along relatively quickly over time. But in the end, so much of this depends on us as human beings and the values that we embrace, the priorities that we have, the sort of commitments that we make, the targets that we set. Um, and so... I, I, I think the, um, the, the regenerative, uh, co the concept of regeneration 
is immensely powerful because it isn't doing a less harm uh, formulation. It's saying over time, it's not good enough to just push towards net zero, you know, shrinking your your negative uh, impact. We've all got to think about how we rebuild communities, how we rebuild regional economies, how we rebuild the biosphere over that time. And no individual company can do this on its own. So again, this this is going to require very, very close collaboration, not just between different businesses and different industries, but between different um, uh, sectors of society. And, and partnership has often been talked about over the last 20 years in this uh, field. The nature of the partnerships, the scale of the partnerships that we now need to develop on a very different scale indeed. With my tongue firmly planted in my cheek, let me ask you this. Did you ever think back in the 1970s that you'd be this tree-hugging communist advising <laughs> the world's largest companies on eliminating their carbon footprint? In the 1970s, um, yeah, because I set up a company with several other people in 1978 to um, open up business, to start talking about issues that it really didn't want to talk about, like safety, health, environment, these sorts of things. But to your question, would I have then thought that I would move into the sort of global boardroom in the way that has happened subsequently. It, it it might have been on the wish list, but it, it wouldn't have seemed like a, 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 a realistic um, uh, prospect. And then I wrote my first report uh, on climate change back in 1978. And I, at the time, when I think back to that moment, I thought things would in many ways go much faster than they have. But one of the books that had an amazing um, influence on my own thinking was Thomas Kuhn's the Structure of Scientific Revolutions, came out in the early 60s. I read it when I was 14, back in the early 60s, and, and have kept going back to it because I keep disbelieving what I remember from it. One of the things I remember was that he made the point that these very big fundamental paradigm shifts, a, a notion that he introduced, take something like 70 to 80 years to uh, work their way through. Well, if you think about the late 50s, early 60s, that's when environmentalism started to take off. The um, NASA shots of the, you know, the, the the Earth from the outside. We're sixty-five and counting years into that paradigm shift. What Kuhn also said is that towards the end of a shift, you go through a series of inflection points, and the pace of travel uh, increases to an extraordinary degree. It doesn't mean you go in the right direction, but the energy released is extraordinary. That's where I think we now uh, are. And and so, no, I couldn't have foreseen it happening. I, I, I thought we'd go in more of a straight line trajectory. We're, we're sensible people, aren't we? We'd, we'd, we'd address these challenges. We've delayed it for so long that we've put ourselves in a gradually then suddenly uh, world, as some people call it, where, where things teeter along for quite a long time and then boom, they go somewhere else. So many of these goals are for 2050. Uh, neither you nor I are going to be around by 2050, but the wise man is the one who plants a tree for shade he will not enjoy. Are, are you confident in the seeds being planted today for a sustainable future? Um, to be absolutely clinically honest, no, because I look at, I mean, my favorite subjects at school were things like history and archaeology. And both of those disciplines show that pretty much every civilization to date has collapsed. And they've typically collapsed for one of a number of reasons. Uh, one of the critical areas has been overstressing of the local environment for resources and, and, and so on. So I think it's inc much more likely now 
that our civilization will go somewhere most of us really don't expect at the same time because I think we've backed ourselves into that existential corner the potential for getting people to do things to think things and, and do things that they would not have been able to imagine a short while ago I think it's also increased uh, very powerfully uh, indeed so I'm often asked uh, am I an optimist or a pessimist and I, I find it a difficult um, question to ask but in in, 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 in in terms of the question you just asked Mike I think um, I see this as as the the critical point in our evolution uh, of a species and particularly since the industrial uh, revolution we have a chance we have an opportunity the young people are, are rooting for us to do it question can we I'm committed to doing my absolute damnedest over the next 10 to 15 years to making it happen but do, do, do I have a a deep, deep, sublime confidence that we'll do it. No, not really. Well, I'm so glad we could end this conversation on an up note. <laughs> See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting nokia.com slash insights. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.